Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 43, as we will be looking at verses 1 through 15 of this chapter. Really, 43 is kind of all one big idea. Combine that with really the probably the first five verses of 44, and you get kind of this one central theme. But it was just too much for us to do in one Sunday, so I thought I'd break it up into a couple of Sundays. And so we'll be looking at the first 15 verses of Isaiah 43 together today. Before we do so, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask for his help. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to your word, we'll read here over and over that you are the Holy One of Israel, that we are your people, that we should fear not that you have redeemed us. So Lord, as we come to your word, help us to see these words, not just to intellectually agree to them that yes, we should fear not, and yes, you are our Lord and Redeemer, but help us to know them. Help us to be changed by them. Help us to conform to them and not, and not to this world. Help us to be transformed by these words as our mind is renewed daily through your spirit. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. As I prepared for this message this week, this idea of fearing the Lord and this idea of being his witness kind of tied up together made me think of this time of the school year as we're wading through this idea of scheduling for next year. And what that means is the students will take different classes next year. And because, you know, Murray High is a pretty small school, I teach, I teach a lot of students more than once in their careers. And so helping them understand, okay, this is what you should take next. And, and then not only that, but having this whole group of eighth graders who haven't met me, who probably only heard things. And uh, that's, they're not, those aren't bad things necessarily. But they may have questions about their future teacher and their class. And so and one of the funny, this funny thing always happens every time. There's always a few students who are very assertive. They, 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 they're very good at self-advocating, so to speak. And they will, they have, seem to have no fear at all. Not disrespectful at all, but they'll email me. They'll walk right up to me, even they'll ask me questions about the class. Very direct questions, which is always fine, not disrespectful. But then there are others that are that are just so timid about this. They're afraid of me really until about February. And then they realize that I'm mostly just smoke and mirrors. There's nothing afraid scary about me really. One of this one of those funny things that always happens that I always just love every year is that sometimes there is this brave kid that's really good friends with the not so brave, timid kid. And the timid kid is talking to the brave kid and they realize that they can help them. And so the brave kid will grab them by the hand and walk up to me. And they'll say, they need to talk to you. They're just afraid. It's just really, and I think it's just hilarious because they're, they're, they represent this fear, but also they have this witness that is bringing them up. So as I read through this passage, it made me think of those interactions that I have with the students because we are told to fear not. But we are also told to be God's witnesses. There's plenty in the world to be afraid of today. Plenty. 
We live in a very volatile world, not just our country, which is its own brand of volatile, but in this world. And if it weren't bad enough, we have a populace that basically depends on an organization whose main job it is to get viewers. And how do they get viewers? By stirring up volatility. And it's the self-perpetuating system that leaves the bravest among us to become timid. We live in the midst of a world that's scary, but we're told to fear not. We're told to be witnesses to the nations. So as we look to this today, we're going to see how Isaiah lays this out for us, why it's so important for us to put fear in its proper place and to worship the one who we should fear instead so that we can be effective witnesses. And so with that, we'll consider three main ideas, assurance with Christ, witnesses for Christ, and then victory in Christ. And so look with me together at the text, Isaiah 43, starting at verse 1. Please stand with me in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Isaiah 43, starting at verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flames shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Cush and Sheba, in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored, and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. Fear not, I am with you. I will bring your offspring from the east and from the west. I will gather you and I will say to the north, give up and to the south. Do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Bring out the people who are blind, yet have eyes, who are deaf, yet have ears. All the nations gather together. And the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen. That you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, before me no God was formed. Nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you, and you were my, and you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, thenceforth, I am He. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work, and who can turn it back? Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Amen. This is God's Word. You may be seated. So remember, last week we had kind of a two-part message. 
you remember in chapter 42, we had the first part of chapter 42 where there was a lot of excitement about the Lord going out into the nations to gather people for himself from the coastlands and from the islands. And then you have a rebuke, which was kind of hard for us. It was a rebuke of his own people as blind, as deaf, as ones who loved captivity more than they loved their Lord. And if we weren't careful, we might have even left last week thinking, well, where's the hope in that? It's tough to hear rebuke from anyone, especially those that love you most. And as we read through Isaiah 42 last week, we were kind of left at this cliffhanger, so to speak, wondering if the Lord was going to call his people back to himself. Now, we know that he does. And in fact, I left you with that idea that the Lord calls his people back to himself, even that he, he even calls us to find rest in him, even though we are so bad. But if we were to end the book of Isaiah with chapter 42, we might think that there was very little hope. If the people of Israel were to have chapter 42 as the end of that book, they may think, well, we're going to be stuck in exile forever. So when we pick up chapter 43, what we have here are some of the most tender words that God writes to his people in all of the scriptures. So that brings me to the first point, assurance with Christ. And so remember last week, again, we had this tough rebuke to end 42. And so look at the beginning of 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And so when you read this, but now, there is this real shift for us. It's a real emotion there's an emotional change that's going on here. If you look at the end of verse of chapter 42, what's going on at the end of chapter 42? Look at verse 25. So he poured, he poured on him, he, the Lord, poured on him, his own people, the heat of his anger and the might of battle and set on, set him on fire all around. The Lord is doing this to his own people, but he did not understand. It burned him up, but he did not take heart. He set fire to his own people. We see this taking place in the people or in the form of the nation of Assyria and the nation of Babylon. But then you read verses 1 and 2 of 43. Fear not, I have redeemed you. In fact, you will pass through the fire and I will be with you when you do so. So understand what's going on here. Where's this fire come from? When you pass through the fire, it's the fire that he has set all around us. When you walk through it, you're not going to be consumed. Now, there isn't a lot of agreement on verses 3 and 4 of what this idea means of this ransom. But the understanding that the people of God are so important to him that he's willing to give anything for them. In fact, he's willing to give whole other people groups for him. Other nations are named. You see that? Egypt, Cush, and Sheba. Other peoples are named in generals. But nothing compared to his own covenant people that he has for himself. And we see this in verse 4 in plain view. Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. Talking to his covenant people. I give men in return for you. Peoples in exchange for your life. Obviously, we see this in the ultimate ransom of all time. The payment of Jesus Christ is a ransom for sinners. 
But notice the scope of this. Fear not, I am with you. And what's, what does this mean? Verse 5. I will bring your offspring from the east, from the west. I will say to the north, give up, meaning give up your offspring. Give up those people who are mine. To the south, do not withhold them from me. They're mine. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. These people are mine. Fear not, I am with you. Yet, so many of us, just like so many Israelites in Isaiah's day, and particularly in the time of exile, live in a constant state of panic and fear, myself being among them. We look at the world around us and we think, what is going to become of all this? And you don't really even have to watch the news for more than 10 minutes. And you start to have this overwhelming sense of, oh no, our government is crazy. People are upside down on their morality, like literally completely upside down on their morality. Even professed Christians, people who say, yeah, I'm a Christian, I follow the Bible, I love Jesus. And they're quick to call out ranked sins like murder and sexual sin and others as, yeah, those things are okay. The Bible really needs to be updated for our times, is what they'll say. They'll say, as they'll say that as if God needs to watch the news and learn how he should adjust things for 21st century America, as if we've somehow created this new context. Christians watch these things, they hear, they read these things, and they live in fear. We live in fear because the truth that we know, the truth that we hold dear, the truth that we take as God's truth is now at odds with the majority of society. It's not this small little group of society that we can just kind of push over here and ignore anymore. It's literally on every channel, every day, all the time. You can't get away from it. If you, if you choose to be informed, you are choosing to read things that are against the scriptures. You can't get away from it at all. Not to mention the other just daily concerns that we have, right? About health, about relationships that we have with each other, with our families, with our friends, with the world, about security, our own sense of well-being. It's a lot to take in. And so in our fear... We act as if we worship of God that is also learning about these things at the same time that we do and is reacting to them as well. And we have to kind of get together with him and have a powwow about them. And as if he's going to say, oh, yeah, you're right. These things look tough. I'll see what I can do. As if we're putting him on the case to go out and solve our problems. As if he doesn't know exactly what's going on. Thankfully, we don't worship a God who learns or needs to react. We worship a God who not only walks with his children through the fire, but one who brings it upon them. And if we don't like that, we're at odds with the entire book of Isaiah then. Because the book of Isaiah is about a God who obliterated ten tribes of Israel. They're now called the lost tribes of Israel. He used Assyria to do that. And with the other two tribes, he's going, he plans to take them into exile with another pagan nation called Babylon. He does this so that we'll cling closer to him rather than the things of the world. What kind of people fear the world and then run to the world when they sense trouble? That's exactly what we do. 
We fear the world, and then we run to the world for safety. Rather than fear the world, brothers and sisters in Christ, let us fear the one who created us for his own glory and run to him. Verse 7, everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, they are mine. Let us run to him. The Holy One of Israel, Jesus Christ, says, Fear not, I have redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. If that is true, and it is, what do we have to fear? So that brings me to the next point, witnessing for Christ. So knowing this, consider the buildup from 42, the last part of 42, end of 43. This next section is all the more incredible, right? He has rebuked his own people for being blind and deaf and loving captivity more than love him. Then he says, fear not, I have redeemed you, I am with you. You're going to walk through this fire that I have made, but you're not going to be consumed. And now come and you're going to be my witnesses. It's pretty incredible. Verse 8, bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes. Who are deaf and yet have ears. Who are these people? Well, he's talking about us. Bring them out. He's calling us to be witnesses. He calls again the nations to this kind of courtroom scene. Verse 9. All the nations gather together. The peoples assemble. Why are they doing this? Well, who among them, who among those nations can declare this and show us the former things? Let them bring their own witnesses. Let the nations of the world bring their own witnesses to prove them right, to let them hear and say, it is true. So there, there he's, he's calling them, bring your own witnesses so that they can show their power and their ability. And on the other hand, what is the Lord doing? He says, you, deaf, blind, prisoners who love me, who love the world more than they love me, you, are my witnesses and you are to testify to my might and my power. You are my witnesses, verse 10 declares the Lord and my servant whom I have chosen that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he before me. No God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord. And besides me, there is no savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed when there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and I am God. Also, henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work and who can turn it back. The message is clear. It's so clear, in fact, that we really don't even get the testimony from the other nations. There's nothing they can say. There's nothing they can do. What are they going to do? Argue against the true God? They're going to create their own gods who will just sit and do nothing. They have to sit and be amazed along with the people of God as well. It's the Holy One of Israel. He is God. He is Savior. Besides Him, there is no other. There's none who can deliver from His hand. He does something. No one can undo it. And so you think about this message in Isaiah's day. This is, this is again, given to a people who are in exile. 
There wasn't much going on by the way of witnessing or what we would say is evangelism today. Isaiah preached the word to the people of God. It was a very tall order in and of itself to do just that. His message to them had mostly been repent because you have wicked hearts over and over and over again in the book of Isaiah. But notice here the message is from the Lord and he's telling the people of God, you're going to be my witnesses to the nations. And so when Israel came back from Babylon, what did they do? Well, they weren't really witnesses. They just kind of lived life again, did their normal Greek or their normal Hebrew thing until the Greeks came. And then it was the Romans that came. And it wasn't that the people didn't convert to Judaism. There were people who converted to Judaism, but there wasn't a push to see the nations of the world come to know the one true God. And then that one true God came in the flesh and even his own people rejected him. And with Christ, we see the ultimate fulfillment of this, this idea of witnesses. It makes me think of the day that Jesus was ascended into heaven. Turn with me to Acts chapter 1. It's no secret that Jesus was a student of the scriptures. He was there when they were given to Isaiah. So it shouldn't be any surprise to us that he would use similar language as the words that he gave to Isaiah. Think about this time as the disciples are there with Jesus, with the resurrected Jesus, knowing that so many prophecies had been fulfilled. These disciples had been taught the book of Isaiah, no doubt, by their Lord. And now they're seeing them be fulfilled and they know that Jesus' kingdom must soon come. And they're all this excitement building. And then you get to Acts chapter 1 verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So we've, we've, we've saw these prophecies. We've, we've heard all these things. Lord, is this the time that you're going to bring it all about? You're going to finish it off. And what do you say to them? Well, there's still work to be done. It's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power. When the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's good. Because remember we're blind, deaf. And we like prison. So you're going to receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses. In Jerusalem. In all Judea and Samaria. And even to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things. They were looking on. He lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven. As he went, but behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way that you saw him go to heaven. You know what? If we had time, we could keep reading. He said, You will be my witnesses. I am the Lord. Beside me there is no Savior is what he said in Isaiah 43. He said that in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as well. And so the disciples know this full well. And so then what do they do? They go and they are his witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. I mean, just turn over to chapter 2. Peter preaches a sermon. Who's there? People from all the tribes, tongues, and nations to hear the gospel in their own tongue. Thousands were converted that day because they heard about the one true God.
And again, who did God use as witnesses? The disciples who on their best days were struggling to do things right. Who were blind, deaf, and they loved prison more than they loved freedom. So when Isaiah tells us that God says, You are my witnesses, that you may know and understand that I am he. There are no other gods before me. He is on purpose choosing people who have nothing going on them, going for them, besides the fact that they are his people, that they are his witnesses. Everything that we have, brothers and sisters in Christ, we owe him. So everything that we say, do, and think should be so that his kingdom might come, so that he might be glorified. We were created for his glory, so what then should we do? If, if we do anything, it should be for his glory. We don't really have any excuse in this because what does he say? Well, he is with us. We can't create a situation in our head that's worse than walking through fire. And so he is with us. The very son of God made flesh said he will never leave us or forsake us. We all remember that right from Matthew chapter 28. But, and right before that, or right after that, he told us to go and make disciples of all nations. We all know that passage. And right before that, what did he tell them? Well, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So what does he say to hear through Isaiah? Fear not. I am with you. I have redeemed you. You are mine. The creator of the world. The Lord of all things. The sovereign of all eternity says, you are mine. What is there in the world that's going to destroy us? They can take a whole lot away from us. They can even take our lives. But ultimately, our security rests with Jesus, who sits at the right hand of the Father. He sits in an absolute place of authority, and he sent his Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God of very God, to be our, his personal guarantee that he is going to save us. So when we are afraid, when we have doubts, we should turn to this. It's all true. Granted, we all have different gifts. I'm not saying that we should all be street preachers or anything like that. But it's getting easier and easier nowadays to separate the wheat from the chaff. It's getting easier to separate those who are following Jesus from those who are following whatever feels good today. And the world has plenty of feels good. Way too much. It needs a savior, needs Jesus, and we are to be his witness. That brings me to the last point, victory in Christ. Look with me, Isaiah 43, verses 14 and 15. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I love that we are continually reminded that he is the Holy One of Israel. This is our Lord Jesus who's saying this to us all the way back in Isaiah 43. For your sake I send to Babylon... And bring them all down as fugitives, even the Chaldeans in the ships in which they rejoice. I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. These two verses show us that Babylon will eventually be fugitives as well. They're going to even attempt to escape in their own ships, which history bears out. 
This is the first time that Babylon is mentioned since chapter 39. And it's to drive home the point. They are going to be the captors of Judah. They will eventually come in 150 years after this has been written. They will come in and they will take over Judah. It is true. But that captivity won't last. Judah will be delivered and it will be Babylon that will be destroyed. Historically, even prophetically in the next few chapters, we're going to meet a character named Cyrus. He's the Persian king that's going to overthrow most of the Middle East and the ancient ancient Near East. He's going to be their right then savior. However, though history would be quick to tell us that Cyrus was the rescuer of Israel, Isaiah is quick to remind us to remember who our true redeemer is. It's not as if God jumped in when he saw Cyrus doing his thing and said, okay, now's the chance. Now I can save my people because this strong dude is doing the thing. No, God is the creator of Israel. He is their king. He's the maker of Cyrus. And he's the one that made Cyrus king. He rose up Cyrus just for that purpose. And he's going to bring him down one day just for his own purposes. Just like he rose up Assyria, Babylon, Rome, and yes, the United States. We don't have faith in nations, brothers and sisters, because nations don't last. Just read the Bible. Read history. They don't last. They rise and fall at the whim of the Lord alone. We have faith in the Lord. And we are a people who share in His victory. The real enemies are not nations, but the two things that have been around since the garden. Sin and death. And yes, while God delivered His people again and again from nations and enemies on earth, this all pointed forward to a time when He Himself would come and see that his people would be delivered once and for all. And when he came, he didn't come to defeat the nations. He could have. He could have came in and wiped them out just simply by stopping thinking about them. They would have ceased to exist. But he came to defeat the, to defeat sin and the grave, and he did so by being nailed himself to a cross. And all of our sins with him. And he was risen from the dead so that we might have eternal life. The reason that he can say, fear not, I am with you always, is because he had the authority to do so. He actually came and redeemed us, his people. He has bought us back. That is the meaning of that word, redemption. He has bought us back from sin and from death. And the price that he paid was his very life. He gave himself as a ransom for many to give his life for your life. And it's not even close to a fair deal. It's not as if that made sense. It doesn't. He came, he became sin so that you and I might become the very righteousness of God. It's not fair at all. We get all the things. He got all the punishment. He got nothing. That's the only thing I had. So rather than trust in the world, Rather than trusting the world who only has sin and death to give us, let's call out to Jesus. And this is the same message whether you're here this morning or you're a believer. You need this. Call out to Jesus. There is no other gospel. All those other gods are no gods at all. And if you're an unbeliever, call out to Jesus. Fear not. Instead, fear Him. Especially for the unbeliever, I'll add this. When you don't call out to Jesus, you aren't simply choosing another way. It's not as if... 
you can say, well, I like Jesus and all. I think he's a great idea, but I'm going to go this other way. The other way is death. There's life in Christ and then there is death. And it's not just a live today, die tomorrow. It's a live today, die for all eternity. To side with any other God is to side against the one true God, which is not really a place you want to be at all. Rather than face the wrath of God and said, come to Jesus in repentance, call out to him and be saved. That is the only name under heaven by which you can be saved. Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters in Christ, fear not. We have a redeemer. He is with us even today as we are here in this place. Let us trust in him rather than fearing the world. Let us be witnesses to the world. How else will they know about the one true God, Jesus Christ? Let us be his faithful witnesses. Let's go to him in prayer. Oh, Lord Jesus, as we come to you, we, we totally identify with the witnesses that you called for yourself there in Isaiah 43, the deaf and the blind. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us because even on our best days, we see other gods and we see them as tempting or we just see them as better. Lord, help us fix our hearts, change us from within that we would worship no other gods, that we would stand with you and you alone, that we would not fear the world, but instead fear the one who created the world. It's in his name we pray. Amen.